The truth is, all of us at some point, whether you follow Jesus or not, we ask that question. We grapple with that. Who are we really? Where did we come from? Who did, who, from whom was I born? What is my background? Why the heck am I here? We ask these same questions. And what's beautiful is when you put your faith in Jesus, you know Him as Lord and Savior, you start getting the answers. God's Word speaks your identity to you. So today, as we go on uh, through Galatians 3 in this series, we're going to be asking the questions like, well, why is it such a big deal that we're called children of God? Why should I own that title? And for that matter, okay, so if God is my Father, then how do I imitate Him? You said I'm supposed to imitate Him. What does that look like practically? And then, well, how does He ask us to do that as His kids? What, what, when I go out into life, how does that impact my words and my actions and my decisions? Everything. Because the truth is, I, I don't know how things are in your house, but you, you start talking about kids, being kids. Um, man, there is not a wall in my house that is safe for my kids. There's not really a wall in this building. And it's not that my kids are bad. I've got great kids, but, you know, they, they can be wild. You know, we've got the marks of, of nail polish that my daughter slung all over the wall, and I went to try to clean it off, and it started wiping the paint itself off. And I was like, well, sorry, wall. You're just going to have to be stained, and people are going to have to judge me. That's just how that's going to be for now until I get touch-up paint, you know? But what's really cool is when we're God's kids, it's actually our job to break down walls. Paul's going to point out some barriers and some walls that get in the way of us doing what we're called to do and being who we're called to be. And he has to do it. And it's our job to do that. And so I'm going to pray for us as we dig into these verses. We're going to see, well, what, what is Paul getting at today? What's the big deal here? So here we go. Three, two, one. Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father God, we're here. And... Um, we want to hear from you. I know some of us, we have some history with you. We've walked with you a while, different lengths of time, depending on who we are in this room. And I just ask that today you'll give us just a crystal clear picture of what you created us to be, which is your kids. Not just people who know about you, but people who are living for you, fully recognizing that our identity is in you. I, Holy Spirit, I just ask that anything that would blind us to truth, um, that you would just smash right through that. Uh, I pray that as we read these verses that Paul wrote 1,900-some years ago, that um, you would just scream and shout the truth we need to hear and just sink it into not only our brains, but into our hearts. Will you just change us so we're not the same? And in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so when Paul, he's writing this letter. And we're, we're about halfway through Galatians at this point. And he's just a really concerned, upset man. And he, he's not just being a hothead. He's worried because he had gone through this region called Galatia. I got a couple of fresh maps for those of y'all who are like, man, I've seen the same map like three times. What the heck, Mike? All right, here's some fresh maps. Connor will put this up. So this is Paul's first missionary journey. You kind of see his path. You know, he, he goes west, north. Da, da, da. And so Galatia, this is the southern part of it. And there's four cities, Antioch, Iconium. Lystra and Derby. These are the cities he ministered in, uh, many of which he planted churches in. Connor's going to pan out now. This is Paul's second missionary journey. You see his path. You can see the whole thing, but these churches in the southern part are the ones that when Paul writes this letter, it's being circulated, going from town to town, church to church, and they're reading this, and it's speaking right into their situation. Paul's honked off because he goes through, 
He'd shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and he'd said, you, faith in Jesus, that's what it's all about. That's what you need. You're not under the Old Testament law anymore. It served its purpose. It was good. You're under the law of Christ. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do that, then people are going to look at your life and they'll go, I know who they are. They're a disciple of Jesus. They're a child of God. But somebody or somebody's had come to town, said, no, 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 Jesus isn't enough. Jesus is great. You, you got to keep this law. It's really important. You've got, you got to keep that law and, and follow all those things. And Paul is going, no. When you take Jesus and you add anything to Jesus, you get nothing. This is a life or death issue. And if you really think you're going to add something to faith in Jesus and you're going to say that what he did wasn't enough, that you've got to do something else with that other than obey and surrender, then you're not busy living anything. You're busy dying, and that's a bad, bad thing. So Paul, he, he's, he's zinging him. He's shooting him straight. He's not afraid to just tell it just like it is because he knows these people. They're his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's like a spiritual dad to a lot of them. So he's laying it out there. And this is what he says in verse 25 of Galatians 3. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now check that out. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Well, why is this huge? Well, a couple reasons. One, this isn't some future thing. It's not, oh, we're going to be sons. It's you are sons. This is a now thing. You got faith in Jesus? You're his kid. You're God's kid. That's how this works. Like, okay, cool. But then you look at, look at the, the word he uses. When he uses the word son, you know, whenever they drop a word in, you, know, you can look at, okay, well, how was that word defined? But what tells you a lot of times what Paul's getting at? It's the context around it. For instance, when Paul will sometimes in his letters, he'll write brothers. He'll write the word brothers. But we'll look and we'll go, okay, well, this letter was being read to the brothers and the sisters. It was being read to the men and the women, everybody in the church. So sometimes in our modern translations, when we know Paul was talking to everybody, we'll just say or write down brothers and sisters. But he just puts the word sons here. This is a big deal. Because in this culture, in the Roman Empire at this time, uh, being a son was a huge deal. But being the oldest son, we got any oldest sons in this room? Right? right? I'm all, okay, we got a handful of us represent. You know, we would have been the only ones to inherit anything from our grandparents and parents when it's handed down. We would have been the only ones. And so the other sons and daughters, they, they, they kind of got the shaft on that. But here Paul is saying, well, wait, wait, wait. He's being super egalitarian. He's talking to men and women. He's saying they're included. You're all sons. And that means that you're all God's kids, man or woman. He's going to go into that in a minute. And he's saying you're not just created by him, but because of what Jesus did, he adopts you as his kid. And you can look forward to an inheritance coming from him. This is huge news. This would have been like, holy cow, what does that even look like? And, and next week, Brad's going to talk about that a little more, about what does it mean that we're heirs, that we're God's kids and we're heirs to this inheritance? He's going to talk about that more. But in the meantime, check out verse 27. This is huge. It says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So when he talks about followers of Jesus putting on Christ, Paul loved his metaphors. And he basically likens Jesus to being like, uh, like a garment, like some of our clothes, that sort of thing. Uh, Paul just loved getting into his nifty little bag. And so I brought a garment today. Because if he's going to say Jesus is like that, I thought we need to get something. 
This is something I'm not planning to wear the whole time, but this is something you might resonate with a little bit. This bathrobe has a rich history in my life the last few years. Uh, my buddy Hugh from college was getting married in Denver, and he had alluded to the fact he was going to get a really sweet gift for all the groomsmen to dish out at the bachelor's party. So we get there, and he unveils these robes that are super cushy and thick. It's got our names on it. My college nickname was Farns, Mike Farnsley, so Farns. And he said, yeah, we're going to put these on, and we're going to go hop in this hot tub at this other apartment complex. So we go, we put our robes on, we're all excited. We just got swim trunks, and he said, oh, we could just go on our bare feet. And it had snowed several inches. And so we're like going, we're like the typical, like, you know, kind of doing this, okay, we're going to get to the hot tub. We get to the hot tub, and we get into it, and it's not turned on, and the water is freezing. It was so bad. I forget what we did. I think we went and found another hot tub, but it was very memorable. So this, this thing, it's got a history with me. Uh, and when I put this on, um, I'm communicating certain things about myself, just like you would with any clothes. And uh, there's a pastor named Tim Keller. I love reading Tim's stuff. And he point out, points out that when Paul compares, um, uh, when we're baptized and we become one of God's kids, we put on Christ like a garment. He said, man, this tells us four things that are pretty remarkable. So here's the four things we learn when he compares Jesus to clothing. Well, first of all, we, we find out that our primary identity is in Jesus. You know, our, our clothing tells people who we are. It's almost like a uniform. Uh, we can be telling people, this is my gender. This is my social class. This is my nationality. We say a lot of different things with our clothes, you know. And so when we say Christ is our clothing, we're saying, hey, Jesus has something huge to do with my identity. So now we'll kind of go all family feud. You know, if you ever watch family feud, you got the family team and they have them give an answer and see if they guess it. And then after they hear their answer, they spin up to the screen and survey says, all right, so we're going to have bathrobe says, and then we're going to have Jesus says, all right? So bathrobe says, when I throw this on, I'm a dad in my early 30s and I'm totally owning that. Sweatpants are appreciated, but optional when I'm at home in the comfort of my lair right? So that bathrobe says that. Well, what does Jesus say? Well, Jesus says, I'm loving God. I'm loving others passionately. If there's a decision to be made, a word to be said, or something to be done, I'm going to ask, does it honor him? So when I put on Jesus, it's like I put on the bathrobe, I go out and I say, all right, I'm honoring God. That's my true identity. Before anything else, I'm God's kid. I, I live for him and his mission. So what else? Well, it also tells us that when we put on Christ, like clothes, we're finding our relationship is a close one. You think about it, your clothes, they're closer than anything. You know, with this, I don't mind this being close to me. I'll start sweating in a few minutes, but it's soft, it's cushy, it goes wherever I go, it never leaves my side, it keeps me protected from the elements, it keeps me warm. It is a beautiful, beautiful relationship that I have with this. And every moment like even when I'm walking around here, I can tell I have this robe on. I'm, I'm very aware of it. So when we put on Jesus, it's like we are just aware he's always with us and he, he never leaves our side. So what does the bathrobe say? Bathrobe says, I'm not going anywhere unless it's maybe the fridge or the bathroom or to get new batteries for the remote. That's what my bathrobe says. Jesus says, I'm going everywhere with you. I sent my Holy Spirit. I got your back. Even when you feel alone, I got you. I'm with you. I'm guiding you. I'm ready. Come to me. Focus on me. That's beautiful. What's the third thing? Well, 
when we put on Jesus, it also means, well, we're imitating him. You know, sometimes you go and you would maybe um, act like a certain person. You would be almost like an envoy. If you watched when they started remaking the Star Wars movies, I know nobody likes to talk about um, episode one. It's kind of like a sore subject. But you remember Queen Amidala, she had almost like a stand-in. And when she was supposed to be the queen, even though she wasn't really, she was almost like the representative there, and she acted as that. Well, it's kind of a similar thing. When we put on our clothes, it's almost like we're putting on Jesus, and we're saying, okay, so what did he do? That's what I'm supposed to do. Um, Jesus isn't here in the flesh right now, and so I am the flesh for Jesus right now. I'm supposed to do what he did. So what does the bathrobe say? Well, the bathrobe says... Do you remember those old sitcoms? You know how you watch an old sitcom? Oftentimes the dad had something like a bathrobe and he was a little bit ornery, had a little bit of an attitude and you knew that once this went on, if he had had a bad day, then it was gonna be about what he wanted to drink, what he wanted to eat, what he wanted to watch on the TV. That's what the bathrobe says and I feel like I identify with that a little when I put on my bathrobe and my wife hasn't gotten to it first, which she usually does. Well, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, well, you know, I came and I honored God. I was obedient. It cost me everything, but I would do it again. And my rescue plan's not over. And I'm using you as part of that. So when I put on Christ, I'm going, man, I got a role that is huge. I don't deserve that. And what's the fourth thing? Well, it's that we're acceptable to God. When we put on Christ, we see we are acceptable to God. Um, Back in the day, they would say that you wear clothing as an adornment. I don't know what you'd say now if you'd say bling. I'm not all up on the words that the kids are using. I don't feel like I was up on the words when I was a kid, let alone now. I'm like way, way behind. You know, I'm so way behind. But when God gave clothes, the first man and woman to ever walk the earth, Adam and Eve, what happened? They sinned and the fall happened. And they realized, oh my gosh, we're naked. This is terrible. And he gives them clothes and they're made out of leaves. And I always wondered, does fashion designers ever look back and be like, you know, it kind of sucks that the fall and death came into the world, but I wouldn't have a gig if that didn't happen. And we've definitely come a lot further than leaves. Just the thoughts I have while I'm prepping sermons, you know. But our clothes, they cover our nakedness. They keep us warm. And ultimately, they, if we think of putting on Jesus, it's almost like, well, um, we can stand before God if we have Jesus on. We're not righteous. We don't have right standing. We're sinful. But Jesus did that stuff for us. We put on Jesus And when God looks at us, he sees his kids, he sees his sons, he sees his daughters. So the bathrobe says, I put the bathrobe on, it would maybe say, I'm confident in who I am. Even when I have to make a midnight run because my wife's pregnant and I'm getting her snacks at the store, I need to qualify. My wife is not pregnant. But that's what the bathrobe would hypothetically say. What does Jesus say? He says, well, I... I love and I accept you. You say you have faith in me. I see you surrendering. And even when you feel unaccepted and you feel unloved, um, I'm there for you. I'm, I'm going to teach you and show you over time. That, that's not true. You're very loved. You're very accepted. You're my kid. So this clothing metaphor is huge. It's this beautiful picture that tells us all those different things. And I'm going to slip this off because I start to get a little bit toasty. Then Paul goes on, verse 28. He says, well, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. 
So Paul lays out there the three big barriers that divided people back then in Roman society and really the three barriers that continues to divide us in our world today. And what Paul saw was, here's the deal, if, you, if we don't deal with this in the church and we let these barriers get in the way of our relationships with each other and with God, then when we go out to show the world how this lives, they're going to look and see a picture and go, I don't want any of that. What, what's the purpose? They're not going to see Jesus. They're going to see us and how screwed up we are. He says, so we got to get this right. we got to deal with these. But I want to say this. What he's not saying when he says neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, he's not saying there are no differences. Everyone's the same. No. You read in the Bible, and, and it affirms our uniqueness is good. Like when God gifts us, he's gifted you in certain ways, and you in certain ways, and me in certain ways. And what's the purpose? It's to advance God's mission, and it's to build us up as a church. So that, that's good. But what, what it's saying is well, when we're followers of Jesus— Regardless of how we're different in the church, we're all going to look different from the world. And we need to be looking at his word, asking what those are, and figuring out, okay, well, we're different in these other ways. This is how Tim Keller said it. He said, we're not identical or interchangeable, but we are all one. We're united. When we say we're God's kid, that we follow Jesus and our faith is in him, then gosh, it means I'm a Christian before I'm anyone or before I'm anything else. It means all the barriers that would separate people into the world, into warring factions, they got to come down. So you may think, oh, what are these barriers? Well, he lays them out. Um, and we got this little picture of a dude like karate kicking a door or something. Hopefully this will help kind of stick this in your brain for this week. The first barrier is the cultural barrier. He said neither Jew nor Greek. You didn't have groups of people that were much more different than Jewish people and Greek people with what they ate, how they lived their lives, their priorities. Uh, Greeks typically believed in multiple gods. Jews believed in one God. They, the differences did not stop. But what Paul was saying was, whoa, 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 hang on. So if we're honoring God and honoring his word, regardless of whether we were a Jew or we were a Greek person, if we're all honoring God together, there's probably going to be some differences show up with what language we speak or certain little traditions that, that we keep. But inside the church, we can't let that get in the way. There are cultural barriers there, and sometimes racial barriers. And so I'd ask you this. Do you see any cultural barriers or racial barriers in Shelby County? Do you see any of those? I, you know, I, I moved back. Uh, I grew up here. When I was 23, Sarah and I got married, and uh, we moved out of state, and we moved around different places for nine years, and then God called us back. And so when I came back, and we knew we were moving back here, God had made that clear, but he had not made clear where I was going to be working and different things. So I remember coming, and I was talking to some folks at the church, Brad, the elders, the staff, and I just said, okay, I've been gone nine years. A lot of things are the same. I know it's different because every time I came back to visit the holidays, there was a new bank and a new fast food place because White Castle, yeah, right. But I'm talking about really, underneath the aesthetic stuff, what is different? And somebody said this, and it stuck with me. They said, well... You know, for years in Shelbyville, we kind of had this inferiority complex, and it really would stick out. Like, you'd hear it, we'd be like, man, we got a really great team this year, and we're probably going to lose in sectionals, you know, because we're Shelbyville, we don't win anything, and, you know. And you'd hear people say that, and I was like, okay, I remember that, I remember that. Like, yeah, they'd say that, or, or when there was going to be a nice restaurant or something moved to town, well, we're Shelbyville, like, that's going to work, you know. And that kind of ruled the day, that was the end of the story, but then... They said, what's cool, there's been this shift the last few years, what we've seen is that people are saying, you know what, we can be a small town, and we can have our quirks, and we can have our issues, and our little unique things, but we can be a growing town uh, that is going somewhere, 
We don't have to be stuck thinking we're inferior. We can be the best Shelbyville that we can be. And I was like, I like that. That's an attitude that I'm glad God brought me back to. But, you know, that's a cultural barrier. We got to think about that. Is that showing up in how we think and act with people we talk to or people of other races? What cultural barriers do you see? And here's the second one. Paul also talked about class barriers. He said, slave nor free. Again, um, couldn't be more different, slaves versus free people. And back then, slavery was just, oh, that's how it is. That's how it goes. But we look now, we're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. But Paul's chipping away at it. He knows that if he just said, oh, slavery needs to go away, then people would be ticked and they'd have pointless arguments. But he's challenging them, hey, you're in the church together, you're brothers and sisters, you're all God's kids, love each other accordingly and watch what happens. So if you're poor, you don't have a lot, well, you shouldn't be overlooked and made to feel inferior. But if you're somebody that for some reason God's blessed you and he's given you a lot and you're getting to do good with it, well, if you're well off, you shouldn't be resented, you shouldn't be shunned. So I, I ask you again, thinking about Shelby County or just this region, what barriers do you see in Shelby County? What barriers do you see? Um, I started thinking about them when I was growing up and I was riding the school bus. Uh, there was one type of music that you listened to. And what music do you think that was? That was country music, yes. Yep, it was country music. And there was this song, and uh, Sawyer Brown sang it. And apparently the guy in the song is looking, trying to find his dream girl. Uh, and I, I just remember a little bit of the lyrics, but he says something like, well, I ain't first class, but I ain't white trash. I'm wild and a little crazy too. Just ringing a bell. And he says, some girls don't like boys like me, but some girls do. All right, so he's talking about that. And I totally just butchered that, but bear with me here. So, so it's this guy and he's looking and he's seeing the social classes. He's like, well, I ain't first class, but I, I ain't white trash. I'm wild, and a little crazy. Uh, some girls don't like me, but some girls do. He's kind of like figuring out where I am, and he's trying to nail down where he's at, you know? And, and I started thinking about that because when I came back, I figured out, God had connected the dot, I could work at the church half-time. And I needed a half-time job, all right, so I'm interviewing different places. And I go to a different county, and I go to this implement dealer where they work on equipment and tractors and stuff. And the interview is going great. We're talking. And before long, he said, well... I know you just moved here from Charlotte area, and, um, you know, I, I got to admit, you know, most of our guys aren't going to be as white-collar as you are. I was like, what I wanted to say was, dude, I just rolled up in an old beater 2001 Chrysler Town & Country with no muffler. You could hear me from Arlington, bro. <laughs> are you serious? You know, but it was interesting because it was almost like, hey, you're a nice guy. You got some of the skills, but <clears throat> no, thanks. I, I had that barrier put in front of me. Now, I had other opportunities and freedoms. I'm not griping about it, but it's just a time I saw it. It was laid plain as day. So I would ask, are there any class barriers you see around these parts that we need to deal with? And there was one more type, and this is a big one, the gender barrier. Paul says, neither male nor female. It's probably the biggest one that they dealt with then. In some ways, still a pretty big one, maybe the biggest one we deal with today. But in that day, women were considered just, they're inferior to men. You know, they had some purpose, and yeah, okay, we need them. But they were often just overlooked, kind of pushed to the side in favor of men, you know. And today, when we talk about this, it can get a little explosive, controversial. When Paul said it, it was revolutionary. But we're 2,000 years down the line, and we're still sifting this out, you know? But Paul is saying, well, here's the deal. If women are equal in Christ, 
if they're equal before God, if they are also sons, if they're going to be heirs, you know, well, that means that they've been equally gifted and they're equally able as men. And they have an important part of God's mission and we should not get in their way. We've got to bring down that barrier. We've got to bring it down. I have a, a friend of mine. His name's Al. Al's been a pastor and a seminary prof for years. But he and his wife, Wendy, run this organization that trains volunteer teams for nonprofits. So when you saw the Operation Christmas Child that's run by Samaritan's Purse, every single volunteer that helps get those boxes all over the world is trained by Al and Wendy and their team. And he told me one time, he said, hey, you know, my gifting is kind of the speaking, communicating. I don't know anything about technology, but Wendy, she's very gifted musically. She knows how technology works. He said, so whenever we go somewhere, you know, I usually talk to the creative team and she's over talking to the tech people and that's how it works. But we got to this one site and a guy came over to me and said, hey, hey, how do you need the tech set? And I said, well, I don't know. That's my wife's thing. She does that. I don't know anything about it. You got to talk to her. He goes, oh, okay. And he goes over, but he never talked to her. I thought, that's weird. So the guy comes up, hey, hey, we really need to know how the tech's set up. Um, yeah, you just talk to Wendy. I told you if you talk to Wendy, it'd be fine. Okay, good, good. And he walks away, and he never went and talked to Wendy. Then he sends another guy, and the same thing happens. And finally, it clicked in his mind. This dude, these guys had been taught that, well, clearly a woman, um, that's not her domain. She doesn't do that. She's not gifted at that. We've got to go to the man. And he said, and those guys were screwed because I knew nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and they were trying to sort this out. But there was clearly a gender barrier there where there didn't need to be one. So I would ask, do you see any gender barriers around here in Shelby County, Rush County, Decatur County, Hancock County? I don't know where you came from today. Any gender barriers? Because when you're God's kid, what do we say it's your job to do? It's your job to break down walls, bring those barriers down. So next week, you saw verse 29. It was part of ours. And he said, if you're Christ, you're Abraham's offspring, you're heirs according to the promise. Well, we're going to talk about, all right, so we're adopted as his sons, as his sons and daughters. So what's that mean? We get an inheritance? What's that about? Brad's going to talk about that. But I want to challenge you. You know, Paul wrote these verses, and God can use them as much today as he did back then. And I was really challenged recently. I was talking to Craig, and Craig said, you know, sometimes we're teaching, and it maybe goes well. And we go at the end and we throw out applications, he said, and I wonder if we're giving people an easy way out. I wonder if maybe sometimes we just start throwing examples, but what if we distract them from what the Holy Spirit's saying? I don't want to do that. And I said, Craig, that's a good point. And so heading into today, I was like, well, what can I do so that we're focused on what God's saying? And so what I'm going to ask you to do is sit there, take a deep breath, just get ready. If it's helpful to close your eyes, great. I'm going to read these verses one more time. And just challenge you, just ask God, God, what were you saying then? But what are you saying to me? How are you using this to speak to me as we get ready to leave here today? So here we go. Galatians 3, 26 to 29, ESV. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring. You're heirs according to the promise. So is this something you need to embrace? Embrace faith in Jesus and the fact, oh, I'm God's kid. Maybe you've never done that. You know, I don't even know where to start. And you just need to come up to our prayer team and say, hey, can you tell me what that looks like? 
Maybe some of y'all, you say, I've been following Jesus a while. I would have said he's my Savior and my Lord, but I've never thought of myself as his kid. What does that, what's that mean for me? Well, we'll pray with you about that too. For, for some of y'all, you know, we had this image of putting on Christ, you know, just like I put on this goofy, comfy bathrobe today. You know, and you're looking and maybe you're going, I need to find my primary identity in him, not in my job, not in anything else about myself. That needs to come first. And I, I need that. Or, you know what, um, my relationship's not a close one with Jesus. It needs to be close. Or, you know, imitating Jesus, wow, I, the things I'm imitating, they're definitely not Jesus. I, I need to deal with that. Or, or may, you know, I feel like a screw up and I, I don't feel acceptable to God. I don't feel loved by God, but I, I want to be. You know, we we want to grapple with that with you too. Or maybe when we walk through those barriers, cultural barriers, class barriers, gender barriers, maybe something pinged in your mind and you're thinking about the week ahead and you're like, oh my gosh, there's barriers there. And God's prodding you that, you know, lovingly but boldly, it's your job to bring those down. It's your job to bring them down here in the church, but also out there. So is there a barrier you see and God's saying, bring it down. Trust me. I'm with you. I don't go anywhere any more than that bathrobe doesn't go anywhere when you're lounging at home. Let me use you. Because when you're God's kids, it is your job to break down walls. And as the worship team's coming up, we get to sing one more song together. Do what we do during this time. Give your offering. Put it in the boxes if that's how God's saying to worship Him. You know, come and receive prayer from the team when they step down or step into the prayer room. But more than anything, ask yourself, all right, if I'm going to be God's kid, what's that mean? Jesus, we want to know. I got him. It's probably going to look different across this room, regardless, you know, depending on who we are. And some of us have walked with you a long time. Some, some of us, not as long. And that, that's cool. We're all in different spots. We're all facing different things. But God, I, we want to be your kids. We want to represent you. We want to know that you go with us. We want to actively put you on, just like we do our clothes every day. We want to surrender and be obedient. And we ask for your help. God, if these barriers come up within this church, if these barriers come up within Shelbyville or Rushville or Greensburg or Greenfield over in Franklin, God, we we want them down because we want you in our lives. We want you in other people's lives. Will you grow us? Will you challenge us? You give us what we need to obey whatever it is you're tapping on us with right now. And we sing to you together. In your name we pray just boldly and proudly but expectantly. Amen.